humanity perspective, it's actually embracing the all and how inclusive is being used in a format that's destructive. I think that we have to take the blinkers off and look outside and sometimes we'll be challenging the changes out there. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. <laughs> Have you been there a while? I, I moved back here um, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So I've just, not in my own home office, I'm actually in a little boardroom office at the, at the present moment. So it's been exciting. So we've had a really busy two weeks because we've just launched a new business as well. Oh, you got to love those moments of launching new things. <laughs> they are exciting and scary and full on all combinations of. All at once, absolutely. No, it's been amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Love it. All right. Well, welcome to the table. Seriously, we just have conversations here and we look at through the lens of, of a particular topical theme and at the moment it's humanity as stakeholders. And I and I know that for you that, you know, human behaviour and change is quite a big thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It is. So when you it's, hear the, the thing humanity as stakeholders, what does that bring up in you? Well, I think, that, you know, lots of conversations that we're actually been having at the moment is that mm. it's about people being respected as an individual mm. and the humanity side of it is that there's we've lost that you know and I shouldn't say lost it because you know people think if something's been lost it's really hard to find again but it's yeah. been pushed aside and I think it's been pushed aside because of all of the amazing word busyness that's actually going on and so I really believe that that humanity, we need to have more discussion around humanity itself. What does that actually mean? And how do we respect, you know, each individual for the qualities and the skills that they bring to the table? Okay, firstly, so many layers we can go down in there and I can't wait. But when you talked about loss, what were you thinking with that comment? Well, the interesting thing is that the reason I say lost and somebody pulled me up on that a while ago and said, mm. no, it's actually not lost. And we we're talking about respect. Yeah. It's not lost. It's actually been pushed aside. You know, people have mm. they've been jaded. They've lost focus. And so it was a really interesting thing to think, no, it's not lost or it's broken. It may be fractured and we can fix it again. So mm. it's a giving an opportunity to say we can change our behaviour If we're given the right tools, if we're given the right resources, you know, we can change. And I think, you know, if you think about people who are in prison, you know, there are people who are in prison who have gone off the rails and when given an opportunity, uh, like, you know, the Enneagram program in America that's been run in the prisons is extraordinary and getting amazing results. So from a humanity perspective, we have a responsibility to give you know, opportunity back to people where they've been you know, perhaps robbed of it or you know, been derailed. And I think, you know, so when I go back into the workplace, you know, there's, there are a few people that I say, we can't fix this person. We can't really change the way this person's going on. Never met one of those people, ever. <laughs> Is that being truthful? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> of course not. But interesting enough, go, you know, the example that you're talking about, talk about that program that is in the over in the States for it those is, that it, haven't heard about it. It's actually an interesting program. The reason I know about it is because a colleague 
is now started to run that program here in Australia. So mm. she is entrenched in the Enneagram program. And so to upskill her and you know their business further and the people that work within their business yeah. is that they then went to America to have an understanding about the Enneagram and how the program is being used in jails to educate, you know, change people's yeah. behaviours and give people an opportunity to grow and have an understanding about, you know, being on the wrong side of the track and do they want to continue on that wrong side? Because when they get out of jail, they, you know, 90% of them end up end up back in jail because they're going back out and doing the same old thing again. So the yeah. program really actually helps them dig deep inside to have an understanding of who they are and also then reconnect with people on the outside who, you know, they've, broken the relationship, broken the trust, you know, lost the respect. So it's been a really interesting program to look at the success rate. And I think the repeat offender program, it sort of fits in under that repeat offender program. Mm. And I think it was only about 20% ended up falling off the wagon and 80% were able to maintain that new self-awareness and maintain a life without crime yeah which is extraordinary yeah extremely extremely so then bring that into the workplace how can we take what we've learned from that into going where do we want to see change and and how can we move change forward yeah well I think the thing is you know like and I suppose this whole working from home you know and fractured how you know their fractured relate our workplaces have Mm. become so fractured so people are now you know, out and isolated and on their own. Yeah. And often people sort of say to me, how do I communicate? What have I got to do to keep my team together? And yeah. I said, it goes back to the one-on-one conversation. You know, we have, again, you know, because of that amount of busyness that we had before COVID, is that, again, we weren't looking at each individual as a person and having yeah. an understanding about what are their motivators, what are their... What are their driving forces that create that, make that person react and behave in a certain way? So it's really important to go back and have an understanding about the individual. You know, who's that individual? What motivates them? You know, what are their inhibitors that they have in their life that can actually distract them from being 100% present um, Mm. within the workplace? And I think that, you know, like we look at here and we've had our lockdowns and parents Mm -hmm. taking on that responsibility of educating their children because the schools have been locked down. You know, they may still have a parent living with them who's got dementia and we're expecting these people to commit 100% and be 100% productive in their workplace. So what are the conversations we're having with people? Yeah, I think this is such an interesting conversation and something that I'm pressing on massively right now out of having literally using this as a lens, humanity as stakeholders, because here's the thing, when we are, and, and I have to, I have to press on this fact that humanity is, yes, humans across the globe, part of a human race, but that makes up you and I. So it brings it right back to individual of us as humanity at the table. And I think what is interesting is that we are, and and it's like what you were saying before, like there's a separation Mm. between, you know, when when I turn up in the boardroom, I turn up in the boardroom, I'm still the mom with six kids. I'm still the mom that runs many companies. I'm still the mom that, you know, like, and and there's just layers and layers of that. But interesting Mm. enough, when we look at organisations, we are only using indicators of the health of the organization by looking mm. at the bottom dollar, by looking at how many sales we're getting in the door, by looking at where our marketing is at. Mm. We aren't looking at or making it priority where us as humans are coming into play in that. So yeah. if we're working from home, how do we balance all those things? How do we cope with isolation? How will mm. we know that our team is doing okay? Yeah. 
Because yeah. those aren't indicators that we're measuring or putting as important things. And that's really come to my attention. In fact, I'm working on a collab with a collaborative partner to a, an assessment tool in which we could put indicators around a lot of those things. But gosh, it's an interesting conversation. It, it is. And I think the thing is like particularly like when we've got people working from home and as I said, this new hybrid, you know, workplace mm. is going to evolve and it won't go away, but it will evolve in a good way if we have an understanding about what is what does that individual person's workplace look like? Mm. What have we, you know, like I, I think that, you know, many uh, before COVID, when yeah. we did have people working from home, we wouldn't allow somebody to work from home unless we did a complete risk assessment on their workplace. Yes, so true, yes. And yeah. so that's all gone by the wayside. Yeah. And so we've got people who are working from, you know, that new workplace, mm. but we don't know how it's fitted out. We don't know what all of the other factors are that could be the inhibitors on that person. Exactly. You know, we don't know whether it's a, a house where, you know, the electrical wiring is faulty, for goodness yeah. sake. And we're expecting yeah. them to plug in all of their laptops and all those type of things and mm. you know, whatever, and all of a sudden overload the switches and we've got a fire. Who's responsible? It's about creating a safe environment as well and making sure that our people, you know, can go and sit at a desk or a table mm-hmm. and be comfortable and productive in yeah. a way that respects, you know, mm. their contribution as well and their sort of their, their lifestyle or their their being. Yeah. How do we make environments safe? Like in, in all reality, what is a safe environment? How do we curate yeah. those spaces? And that's a really interesting question because we also have this, these the privacy legislations out there. Hmm that says, well, you know, you can't ask an employee that particular question because it's a breach of privacy. So we've got a whole new realm of getting an understanding about having that conversation with that person saying, I know that I'm going to be asking you some questions which you may feel like that that I'm stepping over the line. Invading your privacy, yeah. But I need to be able to do that so that I know that I'm providing, as your employer, as your you know mm. manager, that I'm providing you a safe workplace. Mm, interesting. Here's the thing, though. We we are having to navigate these new things and, and go, okay, well, our, you know, you said hybrid's not going away. It's going to be part of our, and I totally believe it will be as we continue forward. But we're stuck in a lot of biases or conditionings or systems of old school. So how do we get those things catching up with the needs that are really humanity needs right now? Yeah. It, look, it goes definitely it goes back to the CEO of the organisation, it goes back to the business owner, mm. it goes back to those who are in a leadership role. And I think that where the danger is right now yeah. is that we've got a lot of people who are in leadership roles who have evolved into that role because they were a good worker. Yes, so true. And so there are a lot of people in those roles who fundamentally don't understand all of those principles. Mm. And so they're, <laughs> they're going into these situations blindfolded. Yeah. And it's, so it's really about, I don't, I don't like using the word training because mm-hmm. If everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to be, you know, you're going to train me to do this. No, I actually want you to embrace some new learnings. I want you to embrace new fundamental ways that we need to do things. I want you to embrace these new skills you can learn so that then it helps you become that much better person and you become more self-aware about what the needs are both from a, say, a governance and compliance and legal perspective, Mm -hmm. but also then go back to the humanity aspect. Which sounds so great in theory. Honestly, I'm so with you 100% all the way. Yet knowing, and and I think there's this massive gap between where we want 
leadership or need leadership to be. I'm writing a white paper around the need for a new approach to leadership. I really believe it. I've seen it so much with all my global work. And I also go, but we are so stuck in where society has placed us right now. And mm. and there's a want. There is an awareness that is starting to create be created and is being created in some spots. And like you say, it's up to a lot of the time the CEO or founders or whatever it is of the organizations. But there's still a massive gap from where we want to be to where we are now. And I wonder how we can do that more effectively without scaring those that are very stuck in old systems or old ways of doing leadership because Mm. kind of people have worked hard to get to where they are, but that working hard is not necessarily making them a great leader. It really, truly isn't. And so there's a lot of people who are what I call stuck in old leadership, old ways Mm. of leadership. Mm-hmm. But we are a forever changing, and I love the word, the fact that you use the word evolve. I think that that's mm-hmm. part of this new approach to leadership is that leaders are able to evolve. That means we don't have it all right. It means we don't have it perfect going forward. It means mm-hmm. that although we're putting this in place, we're test and measuring it and seeing where this is taking us and we can pivot or shift along that journey. That is Mm. not the way many of us were taught in the past. Mm. It's not the way many of us have it in place. How do we navigate that? I think it's really like I love the way that you're approaching this and so you've Mm. got a large following and I honestly believe that the way that we can sort of make change is by not one-on-one but having a platform, a platform where we can be heard you know, as mm-hmm. empowerers, as educators. Yeah. And we need those platforms and we need those platforms so that we can speak at keynotes, so that we mm. can speak to, you know, the association, so that we can speak at that higher level and that then filters, you know, down through, you know, organisations. And I, I still believe, you know, like the fish rots from the head. If we've got a CEO who doesn't value, you know, the individual that they're having with their business as a, like, they are the widget. They are the ones that are turning over, you know, the productivity, the income that you you get on the return that you get in your business. And we need to be able to, one is that those that that continue down that path who are not prepared to change, who still, you know, have no undervalue, you know, yeah. each individual person that they've got or, the, you know, the people they have within their business. I, and it's as hard as, hard as this is, we need those people to be held accountable in the court of law. Mm. And that needs to be out there. It needs to be you had people die on your watch. Yeah. And the yeah. laws, you know, if we think about work health safety legislation, they go soft when they get to the courts. Oh, he's sorry because that person died. You know, he had a lot of things going on or she had a lot of things going on. I, that doesn't cut it for me. Nor me. I'm with now, you on this. <laughs> and so what it's yeah. doing is it's sending a message out to people, even if you get to the court, you know, to the court, is mm. they'll go soft on you if we plead that we've yeah. we've been ignorant. We've we've had so much yeah. stuff going on, and we hear this you no know, sort of from the prison system where people you know have committed horrendous crimes, and because yeah. they've had a bad childhood, I will go lenient on them. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, so as hard as it is, I feel that that's the type of thing that we need to be able to say to say to people. You have a responsibility. If you break that responsibility and you don't, you know, you just give it lip service, mm-hmm. that there will be, a, you know, a, a high risk to you, know, you as an individual yeah. for not following those levels of responsibility. So I think this is such a good point, by the way, accountability and accountability at the highest. In other words, there's huge consequences if, if you move over that line into an area that is not right and is not is not okay. 
I think this is an interesting concept. We're seeing it right to leadership in government. We're seeing it in leadership across the globe where people are calling people on things. But Mm. I've seen it. I can only speak from my personal thing as well that, you know, I've been in many roles where I have tried to give voice to other people, myself included, by the way, and Mm. I have become the one that they have excluded out of the picture because it was easier to get rid of me than to have to change that. And then you saw it happen again and again in the organisation. This is not okay. And I think, you know, as long as we say that it's acceptable and they are not held accountable, Mm. that things like this will not change. Correct. But I think there's such a an old system where this was okay and you got away with it. Mm, mm. And I and wonder I, what the steps are that we can take as as individuals but then as a collective to start moving towards this being acceptable across the globe that it's not okay. Mm. And I think the thing is that, you know, like when you know, perhaps sort of when you, you, you go in to hear a keynote, you know, speaker and things like that, mm. quite often you're actually wanting to hear all the good news stuff. Well, that's you know, human, right? Like, we just want to hear the good. Yeah. We don't want to hear the bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. I, I got at the last moment I was asked to speak at the um, a summit on um, diversity mm. and inclusion a couple of years ago. And so I got asked that night, you know, to present the next day at two o'clock. It was like, oh my God. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> anyway, but the interesting thing I spoke about in that particular time is we had a workplace here in Yarrawonga where a Muslim man was went to work in the workplace. It was a, a meatworks. And he was bullied something horrendous about his race and his religion and everything. And nobody did anything about it. And this went on for a period of time. And then there was a big altercation at work and he then left the workplace really angry and said, I'll come back. And he did. And he actually came back and he murdered. And he, he stabbed, killed one of the guys and then also seriously hurt another two. And But everybody was traumatised by it. So I used that, what if this was your workplace? And everybody was, it was interesting watching the audience and people were sitting on the edges of their chairs and you could see people feeling really uneasy. And then I said that happened in my, you know, in my area and all those years ago. So what if this guy went to jail, you know, for 15 years for murder or manslaughter? Yeah. yeah. And I said, but what if we looked at it through a different set of lenses and this guy now was able to use the fact that he'd been bullied and all that type of stuff. And we've now got the new Brody's Law here in Victoria, which has been around for a while now. Potentially, he wouldn't have got the jail time that he got. The actual people who would have got the jail time would be the people who were the perpetrators. You'd be seeing it through a different set of lenses. Hmm. And all of a sudden, people thought, oh, my God. So the business owner, if that went to court now, the business owner would be the one who'd be doing jail time. Wow. So it shifts it, so it shifts it around, and I think there's yeah. really studies to be able to utilise and saying we've got to look at this differently. We've got to, you know, take the blinkers off and start looking at each individual person's behaviour and the impact that that's actually having, but. Those in that executive area really need to dig deep and have an understanding about, you're talking about accountability, absolutely. You know, we talk about accountability, but then under all the layers of legislation, it says you have a responsibility to act. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here, here, it's interesting because we talk about inclusion, you know, like inclusion is such a big word and many will just go, well, if we have extra colour, extra gender, extra, like we've hit the inclusion mark in our culture that we're creating. I think we're actually creating even messier things because we're segregating within those things and even within those things. So even if if I talk about the racial tension that hit across the globe, we're Mm. 
you know, many identified very differently, whether black, African-American, whatever. Like I had so many beautiful friends in amongst it all. But I have to tell you, I was blown away by the division that it brought within the, the, the particular tribe of people. And I think mm. that we have to get past, if we are truly going to be an inclusive humanity going forward, we have to begin to have conversations at the table where we go, hey, first check is, is everyone here a human? Okay, great. So number one, let's put humanity as stakeholders first, and then we bring mm. our distinctions to the table. So there's different things that we can bring, that we can mm. learn, that we can develop, that we need to consider but they are not the first things that we come because as long as we come with all these broken pieces of whatever that looks like or maybe mm. whole pieces of whatever that looks like, yeah. it doesn't fit together as a puzzle because we're, we are just hitting walls. We are just, we are not creating an inclusive because mm. as much as you then include this person, that may exclude someone else. So how is yeah. that being inclusive? And mm. I think that this is, where we get on these words and we go, okay, we're going to make it a safe environment. And safe mm. means that this will be now we are only having, you can only come here if you're doing this and it might be meditation mm. for the first hour or whatever, right? And so mm. that's making it safe. So we now tick that off. Inclusive. Okay, now if we have this amount of people, we tick those things off. This means that we are only using words that right. maybe I thinking inclusion makes this so then that yeah. means that we're having an inclusive and i don't know that this is actually fixing it i think it's actually creating exactly. more problems and yeah. and bringing more division and destruction across the globe right now have you got any and thoughts I, around that oh uh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the reason i say this is because mm. you know like you know i have people say to me we do the training every 12 months or we do the training every two years. So everything is a tick box. It's a check box. And that's exactly what you were saying there before. It's a check box. So when we, you know, the, the legislation changed so that now if you've got 100, I think I can't remember what the number is, but it was, let's say I'm going to use the word 120. If you've got 120 staff within your business, now you must have a balance of, you know, female and male within your business. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, does that mean are we just again we're just ticking a box? But well, yeah. are we actually are we filling the roles with the right, you know, skill, you know, highly skilled person to do the job? No, we're not. And mm. so people are missing out because of that. And I think if we can, you know, honestly say this is the role that we need and mm. this is the attitude that we're looking for and this is the skill set that we're looking for. If we sit down and I don't care whether they're black, brindle, whatever, yeah. as long as that person is capable of doing that job, then they get that job. Yeah. And it's it was an interesting one when I was running some training a while ago before huh. COVID hit. It was in it was in house, and we were yes. talking about some roles. And one of the people in the training room turned around and said, "Oh." Well, whenever we go for a reception staff, it has to be a young female. Uh, and I said, so why? That's the way we've always done it. Okay, so what happens? You know, and I know the, off, the, the business very well, and I said, so what happens if it was a nice young gay man? Yeah, yeah. Why would he not be employable? And it was like... It opened up such an amazing conversation within the room that people were going, well, okay. So then they were asking her why. And we went through the whole process and it was really interesting. So I had a phone call from the uh, director of that company the next day because she'd gone back into the workplace and said, now, listen here, we've been um, hugely biased <laughs> within our recruiting. Yeah. And <laughs> and he said, and so he rang up and he said, you know what, now I'm going to have somebody that is, you know, a 67-year-old male <laughs> who's, uh -huh. you know, it was just interesting. And he said, but it was such a, it, it opened up their eyes to how that yeah. they had actually been biased, they'd been discriminating all the way through, you know, that process. And 
And I hear this many, many times. So if we go back to that whole inclusion yeah. is you're not being inclusive no. when you start to let those biases and let those perceptions get in the way of yeah. hiring the right person for the job. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's part of what I, I talk a lot about in the need for a new approach to leadership is that we are using lenses Old school leadership was we told people this is the three principles, this is how you be a great leader, this is what you do to be building out the culture that you want. And instead of using lenses in which we ask questions and like mm. you say, it's it's like so we can individualise it rather than say this is the only way to build it out and mm. these are the systems to put in place and the people to put there because this is how it's been done and it's going to be done for the next 50 to 100 years. And I think mm. that, you know, part of that is that we have to have a willingness to have a new conversation at the table, which is why I'm having these conversations to see, you know, what is the new conversation we can have at the table mm. and, and what does that need to look like? And that will create an awareness which is mm. what we're doing. We're, we're going, hey, what are you thinking? How does that sort of work in what you're seeing and what is not working? But I mm. think that then it becomes this place that, and, you know, and many are saying, yep, we're, we're willing to have this new conversation. What is interesting about this new conversation is, or a different conversation, is that it gets uncomfortable. It's mm. not always that easy to have. It's mm. not always that we're going to agree at the table. And I think that that in a lot of culture and what we're building out in organisations right now is a really tricky place for, for many CEOs or leaders or whatever to be able to navigate that. Mm. It's quite an interesting one because, again, I like we, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot out there at the moment around sexual harassment, sexual assault and, exactly. and so forth. Yeah. And, it's really interesting, I think, when we start to look at that. And I think, you know, like the new legislation has just come down at the moment around uh, respect, I know, from the Human Rights Commission. So I haven't read the document yet. That's landed on my desk last night. So, you know, even that is going to change the discussion that we have with people and how, how do we approach people? How do we have a conversation with somebody that, whose appearance is not meeting our expectations and are our expectations far too high, all of that. So there's a whole range of new Or is our focus on expectations being all wrong or are not going to be beneficial for where we need to go in the future, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's the thing is, that, you know, like there was something that was on TV a while ago and I only just caught it caught a glimpse mm. of it because I don't watch much TV. Yeah. But it was around a, a, a young woman who is an extraordinary female uh, physician. But she, her her husband owns a tattoo shop and so she's covered from head to toe in tattoos mm. and she looks after herself, you know, she's got a beautiful physique mm. and wears the, the short uh, skirts and the suit and everything else and the high heels and... You know, even the the patients have embraced yeah. her differences because she's a great physician. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of there's a lot of people who wouldn't employ somebody because they don't look the right way or sound the right way yeah. or yeah. And that's and a, that's a conversation I'm having a lot. Honestly, it's a conversation I'm having a lot of. And mm. what is phenomenal. And one of the reasons I don't even say who are you, what are you about is because I don't want to see you first as that. I want to mm. see and hear what you've got to say. Mm. And and I think we're missing a lot of that because we come in with our biases, even with a lot of the assessment tools, you know, when we go to recruit people, we put people in boxes. We go, and I get it, it helps some people to make better decisions of who they're looking for. I get it. But I also yeah. worry because you know, you say that you want this, but often it's actually not who you need or want. And you might need someone that looks different, brings something different to the table, because then you actually can disrupt the patterns or results that you're getting at the table. And I think that we miss out on so much as a human race, because mm. we let our biases 
determine our destination within what we're doing. And I think that it's so easy to judge someone from the outside without giving them a moment to even listen. And I think Mm. that this comes back to that conversation at the table. It's easy to have a conversation with everyone that looks like you, sounds like you, and are going to be backing up your vision. It is Mm. so easy to have that conversation, right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And you know, yes, we are going to move forward, and this is going to be phenomenal. But that is not going to be beneficial for all of us to do it that way going forward. It really, truly isn't. And I wonder how we can do that more effectively because otherwise, in some cases, the changes have to be huge in organizations. Mm. In other cases, it may be just a small shift. You know, how do we even start having these conversations? Mm. Well, I think that, like, it's actually being much more self-aware of who you are. Yeah. And, you know, I often use... Disc, you know, when I'm working with yes. you know, people who are, <laughs> I know that one. It's just like it's just such a little a simple. It's really a great tool for people to have an understanding about the roadblock we have mm-hmm. and what what our fears are. And when we understand what those fears are, is that we're then able to have a much better conversation. We're able to, again, from a humanity perspective, understand if that the person fears that in mm-hmm. such a way that it's making them push back or retaliate or go silent, then, you know, we can have a much better conversation with each individual person. And I say it time and time again, you can resolve conflict by understanding where the other person is coming from. And again, but mm-hmm. as a leader, you know, as, as a person who's in a leadership role, doesn't matter whether yes. they're a team leader or where they sit, Correct. Yeah. we need to start early with people and I think all people will benefit if they have a much better tell me more about that piece early what do you mean by that well I think you know often we sort of say we're doing leadership training that's what they Mm -hmm. say are we doing leadership training yes what about the people who are reporting to them what are we doing with them yeah Do, do, do we completely just negate them do we completely say that they're not worthy of being upskilled or trained. Yeah. And, and but here's I think, the thing, I think we don't see a lot of it. Like we're not even no. seeing people, no. let alone and hearing. I, and I, like over this last 12 months in particular, upward bullying has become such a critical element that I'm actually seeing. And I've had business owners, I've had people in leadership roles crying on the phone, men yeah. and women, because they're just... They're just so distressed about what's actually going on. But then when you start to go back and you look at these people who are reporting to them, what have we done for them? Nothing. And I think that, you know, we need to look at each, going back to it's a workforce. Every person is a cog in the wheel no matter where they sit within the hierarchy of the business. Yes. And we've got to take look at this through a completely new set of lenses. Everybody deserves the opportunity yeah. to be upskilled and educated. Mm. So it's like a, it's like let's say a classroom. We've got year one, two, three, four, five, six. And so we're all learning something new. And yeah. I think that we have to go right back to the basics and educate from the ground up. Mm, so good. Do you know, I remember it reminds me of a story of I used to, you know, I've served in many, many different ways. And and one of the ways was behind some phenomenal conferences years and years and years ago as a younger, younger person, (laughs) not not quite the same age as I am now. (laughs) And, you know, one of the things that I'll never forget was the and I was working at the front, like welcoming people into this their seats and doing all that sort of thing. But I remember going into the bathrooms, and and people were looking after the bathrooms and keeping them clean. And I always thought this is this particular event, the bathrooms always looked amazing. They would have a beautiful arrangement of flowers. They would always make sure everything was clean and tidy. It didn't even matter how good the event was, which it was. It was the fact that that bathroom made such an impression on me because it can be those moments when when people 
are complaining about the dirty bathroom mm. because in that moment you need a break from sitting and listening to the event and all they can think of is that. And I just thought this is so interesting because although it's small detail within the ecosystem of what was going on, it was mm. a, such an important and integral part of it. Because you can yes. have the greatest speakers, you can have the greatest people who are bringing their content to the table, yet for someone, if they have a really bad experience in the bathroom, that mm. will be their reminder of that event. And mm. I just always thought from that moment on how every single person is important in an ecosystem. And I think this goes back to a lot of what we've spoken on how do we respect from the ground up? How do we show, how do we see, how do we listen that maybe we're not listening, you know, at, at top leadership up the top there who are, you know, not on the ground, not in amongst the trenches. And in fact, one of the, the things that I have done over these last few years is when running companies is actually being a part of on the ground to see what it was like to be, running a team on the ground to being involved in the meetings on the ground and it has been the biggest learning curve that mm. I've ever done in my life and it's grown so much me as a leader to ensure that I am thinking of it as a whole ecosystem and reminded about that. And I think that you know like sort of being a nurse starting out in my, in a, as a nurse mm. many many years ago. Wow. Years ago actually. <laughs> And I think the interesting thing was, you know, in that ecosystem, we yeah. were all such an integral part, you know, from when we were doing our training through to when we became mm. qualified and now we, our roles changed within the hierarchy. But we're an intrinsic part. So we, you talked about the cleaners within the toilet. Yeah. We used to have an individual cleaner on the wards back at Repat at that time. And you honestly could have eaten off the floor. So a polished yeah. truth. It marvelled me, actually. <laughs> and, and every nook and cranny, there wasn't a yeah. speck of dust or anything. It was just amazing. But the relationship that you had with the person who was the cleaner to the relationship you had with the surgeon was no different and it was built mm. on trust and respect. And I think I then was fortunate enough, I had seven years with James Hardy and that was the most amazing company I have ever worked for. And it was every year, once a year, they would get every worker from every division across the business that we would get together for three days. And you'd be sitting at a round table at this event mm -hmm. and you could have the person who cleaned the toilets and the mat at, at Rose Hill, or you could have a person who was off the cement line filling the one of the machines on your table. So oh, I love that. And so you've got the CEO of the company now, yeah. people from Wall Street, all of that, all mixed on the tables. There was no hierarchy at all. This was a level playing field. And the huge amount of respect that people had. So I've managed Canberra and the mm -hmm. region. And then when I came into Sydney, into Sydney to spend some days up there, whatever, you'd go to the big communal kitchen eating area and every person was there. So you'd get to yeah. say, oh, Joey, how are you? Mm. And you, so the relationship that we had within that organisation was real. And so I believe, I, I, get, I get goosebumps about that because I've learned yeah. so much about being with James Hardy. And that's what we need. So we hire for attitude. Mm. That is number one fundamental thing. Does that person got the right attitude? Have they got the right values? Are those values in line with the values that we have within this business? And if they are, then I'll hire them. Mm. Because, I love that. And, and so if we start at that mm. ground level and that's, how, that's our hiring process all the way through, we will build a culture. We will build a, a culture yeah. that's based on respect. It is inclusive. We're not giving it lip service. I love that. Yeah. And, and it's so important, right? Yeah. And, and we were so educated. So that everybody, you know, the, the sharing of knowledge was incredible. I said, I've never come across a company 
that have ever done that before. Mm. Mm. That's so powerful. I love that. I love hearing that it's often in the little simple things to be reminded of doing those things like bringing everyone together and, Mm. you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you've got a seat at the table. And I think that that's, that's how we bring humanity back as stakeholders in businesses, companies and organizations. I really truly do is that we give people a seat at the table. We see people. We have to see people though. And I'm really strong on this right now because I am, I'm seeing a lot of times where, and, and I've, I've actually come across this this year in an, in a situation myself where someone said, I never even saw you at the table. Mm. And I was like, wow, in 2021, Mm. for someone to be still saying that, Mm. that breaks my heart. That and 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 not only was it because it was me that was involved in that, but (laughs) it broke my heart because I go, wow. Yeah. What have I been knowing all these last how many years? What if like uh, you know? And it brought up so many other things. But I thought, wow, if you can't Mm. see me, who else are you not seeing here right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what broke my heart more than anything. Mm. Mm. Because they're missing out, aren't they? They are. And here's the thing. Then you're not seeing the value that I add. So why would I keep doing something if you're not seeing the value that I'm adding to the table? So, Mm. And I think that that is where we miss out too because you are not getting the most effectiveness out out of people in the team if they're feeling that way or if it's things like that are happening. So there's so many you know, layers that really come down to simple things of are they even getting a seat at the table and are we listening and Mm. seeing Mm. and then what are we doing with that conversation? And I think that that's the next piece, which is always the piece of ownership as us as an individual, then, you know, us as a collective as well. So, you know, it's just there's so many things that we can start diving down when we just have a conversation around it. And I think, you know, for me, it's always, I know it can feel really big. Talking about global Mm. space can feel really big for many people when I'm Mm. having that conversation and I go, bring it back to you. What could you do? What's in your hand? Or what are you building out in the culture that you're building out within your organization? What is one shift you could do? Because guess what? Yeah. That shift will start moving you in the right direction. And I think for for me personally, that's always the best thing is to go, if you had the ultimate, what could it look like? Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. let's go back to our starting point and going, mm-hmm. well, what's capacity? Okay, your capacity is small right now. Let's just figure out what's the next one thing we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And everyone can do that. Yeah. The interesting one too is there's been quite a few articles lately about, you know, who manages culture within yeah. the business. And, they, you know, people mm-hmm. say, oh, HR, and you go, uh-uh. you know, culture is each yeah. individual person in the organisation. HR, I think the thing is that, you know, the HR departments have, have they've done themselves an injustice and an inservice as well, you know, over the period of time and, mm-hmm. And I don't say it lightly and because I've often had to go into organisations and try and remedy, you know, some of the, the complaints and the investigations yeah. that have fallen by the wayside and people have, you know, self-harmed and so forth because of it. And, you know, they can't fix it. I believe that, you know, again, as I said, unless people have got their feet firmly planted under the table and feel like that they belong, you know, it doesn't matter where they are within the organisation, we're not going to, you know, have that impact and have that change. And so if you've got that CEO who's the, top, you know, that totalitarian, it's yes. going to be a, an uphill slide. Hmm. It's such an interesting concept that you just said then, the whole sense of belonging. And I think you're spot on. You're really mm. spot on on that one where, mm. you know, if we don't, feel like we have that sense of belonging 
then we really don't even feel like we should be at that table or mm -hmm. that we've got anything to add to that table or that, you know, I think there's such a, I, and this has come to this part of the conversation where I always ask, you know, everyone a particular question. I'm, I'm going to ask it and then I'm going to ask you the question, but I'm, I'm going to take that, you know, like that whole concept. And I, and I kind of want to filter it out a little bit of going that sense of belonging. How do we, you know, ensure that each person in the organization does have this sense of belonging? What do we need to change or how to be more effective to be able to ensure that this is a truth, not just a, a thing that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I just wonder how we do that as individuals in an organization better. And I, mm -hmm. and I want to be thinking of that in, in all the ones that I'm involved with. How can we do that in a more effective way? Like I'm taking that from our conversation today because I think that that's something that is easy if you're excited about a vision. Like we can all belong to a vision that's exciting that we get behind and 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 I wonder when it's a vision that is something that you've joined in on because you saw it as a meeting the needs that you had at that time. Mm. But now you're in there for the long haul. How do you get that sense of belonging or how do we as a company help you to realize and maybe it's maybe they're not to come on that journey with us further. Maybe it's time to leave or maybe it's like how can we help them grow and get to that next level where they take more ownership of that sense of belonging. I don't know. I, I think it's such an interesting concept and I'm looking forward to sort of filtering that out more. And while I say that, oh, you were going to say something? Yeah, no, no. I, it was interesting. I had a chat with oh. somebody yesterday and it was, and I think, and he asked me a question yesterday, what is the biggest promise you can make? Hmm. And that was really interesting, you know, and I thought, wow, okay, what is my biggest promise that I can make? And I was sort of thinking, I was lining that up with my purpose. Hmm. But I think, you know, if we go back to what you were saying there before, if we're able to sort of say to an individual person, you know, when we're perhaps in, in that hiring process, is what's your purpose? Yeah. What, what, I actually what, do ask that. I say, what is the longer thing? What are you about? Like, I want to actually know bigger and further beyond why they're even applying for it. Yeah. And so that, so that therefore, that, that purpose may fit your vision or their vision for uh, your vision for a moment. And then you also say, look, okay, we know that we've got you for three years. Yes, so what exactly. Is it do, what is it that we can do to help you reach your next level, reach your purpose? And so yeah, I love that. Again, what we're doing is that people still say, oh, if we're going to provide them some education and things like that, oh, that's a waste of money. But it's not because they give their all, you know, they give 110% when they believe that somebody believes in them. Mm, yeah. And when we value that contribution that they can make. And, and I think that that comes back to the table, sorry. I, I have to say, I think that comes back to the table when we look at humanity as stakeholders. It is showing value to yeah. each one that is at the table. Yeah, and I think that that's, we have to go back to, I'm dead set against 12-month reviews, all that type of stuff. That's just a whole lot of codwash, you know. Oh, and I, love I know, it. I'm, sure, I'm sure that you've been there, is that, you know, you think, oh, my gosh, performance review, oh, God, what a, yeah. I'm going to get hit over the head on something, I'm sure. Um, so I like to have 10-minute conversations with my staff yeah. once a week. Mm -hmm. How are we going? What are we doing? What can I help you with? You know, so good. That process so that we're in constant discussion. Yeah. And then I think the thing is that what have you agreed to? Mm. And you hold, you hold people accountable. I need to be held accountable. Yeah. Just as much as you need to be held accountable. Yeah, exactly. If I said I'm going to do it, have I done it? Yeah. Yeah. So good. That, that's your culture. That is yes. that's so good. Yeah. Mm. 
I love it. Okay, so if anyone, firstly, if anyone wants to know more about what you do and connect with you, what's the best spot for them to know that? They can jump to my website. So it's uh, maureenkind.com.au or just reach out and give me a phone call. On, yeah. So do you want that phone number now or do you of want course. to? Go for okay. it because this will be recorded and then go in later. Okay, 0437-022-246. Perfect. Do you want to repeat it again? Because I'm dyslexic and if I'd heard that, I would have never got any of that. <laughs> um, I'll go slow. Uh, I, <laughs> my father used to say, say to me, Maureen, slow down with the numbers. <laughs> oh, seriously, for a dyslexic person, numbers are the worst things to hear. <laughs> so it's 0437 Perfect. Love that. So it's come to almost the end of the broadcast. I'm going to ask you the question. What are you taking from our conversation today? Uh, what am I taking? Um, mm. I think just I'm just thinking I love the way that you're talking about humanity and and trying to look at how do we I'm thinking I sort of wanted to sound really meaningful, but that for me just humanity, sound whatever. It doesn't have to yeah, be meaningful. <laughs> yeah, so from a humanity perspective, it's actually embracing mm. the all. It's being, yeah. and I think taking you know, like I, I love the fact that you talked about in how inclusive is being used in the in a, in a format that's destructive yeah and mm. I think that I love the fact that we're talking about all of leadership yeah but again and I like the fact that you're using the term we have to look at it through a new set of lenses and that's yeah. my favorite we have to take mm. take the blinkers off and yeah. you know look outside and if it you know we will become you know, sometimes we'll be challenging the changes out there. We will be afraid. And that's okay because fear, you know, sometimes actually gives you a time to look at, well, okay, fear brings out a new challenge, brings yes. out new opportunities, brings out new ways of doing things because you can't now go across the river because the bridge has gone down. So how am I, I have to get across that river. So I have to think of other ways that I can build, you know, the bridge or the swing or whatever it might be, yeah. you know, to get across the river. So there's various ways that we can do it. Yeah, I love, I love, even though fear and risk and some of those things of having those tough calls, those difficult conversations, it's not nice sometimes. It's not fun. But what I love about it is that it creates the opportunity for a disruptiveness of a pattern that is not necessarily serving us going forward. And that excites me way more and drives me way more than the fear does away from it. Because mm. I go, I, you know, if we truly, what I love about inclusion is that we're having a conversation around something that has needed to be having a conversation around for a long time. I just yeah. think that the way we're having that conversation and what people are normalizing that co as a conversation is not necessarily even asking the right questions or putting things in place that are going to be sustainable for humanity going forward. Same with ethical. You know, like I think that we need to have a lot of ethical conversations within our cultures that we're building. But ethical means that we use a product from something and, and we've there's so much more to and layers to all of these things. Same with diversity. I don't talk about diversity. I talk about distinctions because I think there's a lot of negativeness within diversity. Diversity mm. as a word itself means that it's divided. It's it's something that's different to, to what it looks like. And so then all of a sudden that whole sense of belonging becomes separated again because I'm not a part of that. I'm not belonging. Mm. I'm different. And, and I think that when we talk about things like diversity, it should be things like distinctions, that mm. I come to the table as human first, but I bring mm. my distinctions to the table and they're going to add value to where we need to keep moving forward as a human race. And I think these are the conversations 
that although these words have been brought up and we almost it's like hashtag inclusive or hashtag ethical or hashtag whatever it's like we're putting not like what you've talked about which is individualizing things we're putting a thing that we can generalize and it makes it almost cool to talk about as a global space what if we would actually go back to those things and start pulling that apart and going how could we be using inclusiveness in the culture that we're building out on and I think that that would change a lot of how we're doing it as individuals as a community and then of course across the globe it's an interesting one because one of the things that you know that I train on is Mm. differences and Mm. one of those differences those differences are we have the light you know the Equal Opportunity Act that says we have a whole, you know, people have a whole range of attributes that are protected. Mm. And, you know, if we breach some of those, then we can be held accountable from a discriminatory point of view in a court of law or, you know, by at fair work. So I talk about these attributes as differences. So mm. I'm now I'd love to now change over to distinctions because I think that's yeah. a really good way because. Because somebody's disabled and in a wheelchair, yeah. does that negate the opportunity that they're capable of doing the job yeah. at a, a desk? As long as I'm able to make sure that they're able to have, you know, have staff amenities and all those other things yeah. that makes exactly all of that. And it was really quite interesting when I had one of the groups a while ago, you know, gave mm-hmm. them post-it notes and said, okay, just write up, you know, all the different things the differences that you think people might find that they're intolerant of and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they put up on the board, you know, fat or skinny. You know, and they're using all of these words to describe, you know, a, a person's mm-hmm. appearance or their physical appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to think that we all, you know, in our own mind have all these other layers of... We do. What, what it looks like or what it might feel like. And so yeah. if I've got somebody who comes in and, you know, they're an, a very obese person, yeah. am I going to use that distinction uh-huh. as my bias not to hire that person? Yeah. And that is all I want is people to start questioning that and to mm. start going, is this okay for us as we build out our culture? Maybe it is. Mm. Mm. And maybe something won't change in your culture, but maybe it's not okay. <laughs> and maybe we could actually, you know, add value to humanity because here's the reality. The footsteps we are leaving behind today are the footsteps that we're leaving behind for the generations and the generations to come. I just want to make sure that we are leaving behind a world that is sustainable for the next generations to come Mm. and that they can springboard off. And I think that as long as we are not allowing some of these things to be acceptable anymore, things are not going to change. Things are not going to, you know, there's, there's so much that has been okay as normalized in society. And there's, there's a lot of things that people have seen. This is such a problem. Well, it's time to go, okay, if it's such a problem, if this is not acceptable and we want more respect, we want more trust, we want to build out these cultures that are inclusive, that see distinctions as added value at the table, then Mm. what does that need to look like? How can Mm. we do this? And Mm. how can we do this individually but also as a collective? Because here's the interesting thing. We've talked about so many huge things. I'm going to end this broadcast now. But one of the things I want to say, and I think is so important, is that even though we've talked about things that are very much individual, you and I, are, like I said, are the individual. And if we can make those changes and then work within whoever we work with and within the communities we work with and the sphere of influence that we're working with, this changes what is Mm. happening across the globe. And what I'm trying to do is narrow that gap between the problems and and across the globe that we see and saying, hey, we are able to bring the solutions to Mm. the global, you know, the global solutions that we all are needing to see 
and bring the change that is needed. So, you know, I have loved our conversation today, Maureen. Like seriously, amazing. And I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours <laughs> around this kind of conversation because, you know, you're right in the midst of a place that is, I think, you know, business organizations is a place in which many of us spend a lot of our lifetime in and, mm. you know, change is so needed in there, but change that is adding value to humanity yeah. is needed. So I thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me and just willingness to sort of dive deep into, into some things that are, you know, needing lots of change out there. <laughs> Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think our conversations Mm. save people's lives. That's what it does. I agree. And that's that to me is the most important thing is saving people's lives, Mm. Um, and and both in the physical sense and in the emotional sense. So good, so good. I am not going to say anything else. I'm going to end this podcast. Don't you run away quite yet, though. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change, and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.